Welcome to Facing Mental Illness, the podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Seidman. And this is your co-host and producer, Laura Randall. We are delighted that you're joining us today to hear another personal story of someone with lived mental health experience. Today, our guest is Jennifer Nuessi. Jennifer is 34 from Northport, Florida, and she has a background in event management. But she is much more than that. She is a creative in every sense of the word. She loves to design things, whether it be in written form, in visual form, in concept. She is goes by the pen name of Pen of the People, and she is a poet, an artist, and recently in 2021, self-published her first book of poetry, which is called Things, a Visual Poetry Collection of Anxiety. And it's a fascinating, very different book than probably anything you've ever seen before, certainly a different kind of poetry collection. So we'll talk to her about that. But Welcome, Jennifer, and thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Let's get started by just having you share with our listeners just a little bit about yourself and your background so we can be familiar a little bit more with who you are and where you come from. Yes, thank you. So I'm originally from New York. My parents moved us here when I was in high school, and I've since then been back and forth, whether it's college in Rhode Island, um, then back to New York, and then finally, after my daughter, I came back here. Can you talk about when you first were aware that you were experiencing anxiety and kind of what that looked like? Was the writing something that you did as a kind of a therapeutic way to deal with the anxiety? So I've always been an anxious person since as far back as I can remember. To be honest with you, I feel like it was an accumulation of how I was raised, traumas that I've experienced, and then just the pressures of the way of who I was growing up. So growing up, I was very shy, very quiet. Books were my home, my solace. So with all that being said, I, I was very kind of reclused. And, and then on top of that, my mom didn't let me go anywhere. So I think that kind of built up anxieties. Did you have any siblings or were you were you an only child? No, um, I have half brothers and sisters, but I grew up alone. So, you know, with being alone in a Hispanic family, it's it's a lot of pressure um, you get from your parents. So I think all that putting together created that anxiety within me. And on top of that, I, I really believe that some people are just born with it. It just depends on your environment. Does it increase it or does it decrease it? And then when I was 14, um, I went to a therapist and I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder and also dysthymic disorder. So I've been kind of juggling with that since high school. Can you explain to people who don't know what um, dyspnea is? It's kind of like you go through a mood change where one minute you're so happy and you're and you're so ecstatic and then out of nowhere you get like this cloud of sadness or this cloud of just like anger and frustration. It's like you're it's a cousin I want to say of bipolar but it's not really there where it's not like a it's it's a gradual change where the person actually feels the change happening. Generalized anxiety disorder is just you you have anxiety over everything. There's not one specific thing. And depending on how you're diagnosed, it, it could be a very mild case to a very severe. And I feel like during that time, it was definitely severe for sure. 
What did that look like? I was just extremely anxious. Like I just, I was so one extremely angry because I felt like I had no control over my life in terms of anxiety, talking to my ear and then frustrated because my family was taking it like a joke. So my family, not only they're Hispanic, but also they're very religious. So it's like, okay, you just got to get to Jesus. And once you get to Jesus, you'll be fine. And people need to realize that, you know, when someone is actually with a mental condition, prayers alone isn't going to help, you know, regardless of your religion or your dog. So just having that and also just feeling so insecure about myself and every single thing that I did. Uh, how did you come to, to see a therapist? Did your parents uh, recognize that it was something you needed? So no, that was something I pushed because I'm first generation. So mental health in, in my family, it's you got to be schizo or you have to be, you have to be a schizophrenic, or you have to be someone who's versus, you know, for example, you know, ADHD, or, you know, anxiety, it's not really something that's that prominent. So that was me pushing for it. That was me just realizing it. And then teachers saying, you know, you you're very anxious, like all of my report cards was like, Jennifer's great, but she's very a lot of anxiety. And that anxiety would equal out to me like being the class clown or me going out and being outgoing, which was surprising. That being said, I kind of pushed my mom and was like, mom, I, I need to go see a therapist. And we went, we did a couple of sessions, but then it didn't go through because my family didn't want to um, continue the journey. So it was kind of like, okay, well, now I know what I have at least. So I kind of went off of that. And then I would kind of vocalize that to my family, like, hey, guys, I have a lot of anxiety and you guys are adding on to it because in my family, it's a lot of uh, criticism. You know, it's a lot of like, you need to look like this. You need to be like this. If you're not a doctor, a lawyer or, you know, an engineer, you're not going places, you know, so it's a it's a lot of pressure. You know, my mom was a single mom. So then it was a lot of pressure, like making sure that I would make her happy and I would do what she wanted me to do versus just realizing you're your own individual person, you know, so it, it's a lot of pressures, having anxiety and having that pressure. It's like, eh. so you went to the therapist a few times, got a diagnosis, and then it that kind of died on the vine. Yes. Did you go on any medication? Or did you get any help in terms of coping skills or anything like that? Um, kind of just me at the time, just looking up what I could, just kind of seeing what were some ways to do that. Because clearly I, I wasn't getting the help at home. So kind of just figuring it out. And then honestly, I would just dive into reading, dive into books. And I was in high school, I was very creative. Creative writing was like my like escape. That's initially where writing in general came for me. And also reading uh, the library. I cannot thank the library enough. That was like my sanctuary. I would be in the library for hours and then I would come back and like with my stack of books and stuff. So writing and, and kind of finding that outlet or that escape from my mind, I really appreciate what books and reading in the library has done for me and definitely writing too. So you said you went to college back up up north, is that correct? Yes. Uh, Justin Wells is in Rhode Island. So I was there for four years and that's really in Rhode Island. That's when I started that. That's when Facebook first came out. So in Facebook, when it first came out, it was kind of like write a quote 
for the day. I, that's where my creative juices would really flow. And I'm like, okay, I liked that format on Facebook. So then I started putting pen to paper and I was like, well, I like, you know, I have a ton of little quotes and then it slowly evolved. And I've always loved reading poetry. William Shakespeare is like one of my favorite authors of like all time. And I just kind of started putting it together in, in a poetry. So in that, you know, kind of like that rhythm, and then it just grew. And then I was able to mold together the feelings that I was having that vocally I couldn't say, because by the time I got to college, I kind of created this pretty strong, like sh outer shell where I wasn't letting a lot of things in. And when I would let things out, it was in a very angry or in a way that wasn't received well, like nobody would receive um, kind of my thoughts or my feelings because of the way I was saying it. Are you comfortable giving an example of that? Like yeah. a concrete example of that? Um, so for example, if I didn't like something that someone said, I would just like say it in an angry way or be like, oh, well, you're, you're stupid or in a dismissive way. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. And, you know, I would just flip out. And then I just had this anger, just, just so angry. But I felt like when I could put pen to paper, I was able to just silence that anger, silence that anxiety and just write from the heart because writing was just like the way in a way it was my therapist right that page that pen that was my therapist and that's the way but I didn't want to I couldn't keep a diary I tried to keep a diary that was something um the therapist mentioned uh a while back and I just couldn't keep a diary I'm like my life is so boring and then I would get depressed and I'm like oh my god I didn't <laughs> I was like um the diary's not it but I felt like poetry was just so uh, such a beautiful way to say what I was feeling and then when I would reread it I'm like wow Jen that's how you really feel because I couldn't even be honest with myself but with the paper and with the pen that's where I can be as raw and as honest as possible because that's where the creativity and creativity it boils down to it comes from honesty. So that's that's really kind of where I was able to kind of realize like, okay, and start slowly shifting things in my life to a, to a different direction. So were you studying writing at college also or what were you majoring in? No, I actually uh, majored in event management. I love making people happy and I love the hospitality realm, but I really liked event management because you were able to create um, just these wonderful events that people can kind of wander in and talk about and just kind of either let their day go or just create that magical story, fairy tale kind of wedding for someone or party for someone. So I really um, got into that and I was able to be creative. So I always thrive in anything creative. As long as it's creative, I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm happy. <laughs> so once you graduated, um, I'm assuming you went into some event management work since graduating with the intention to become a writer is a surefire way to starve to death. Tell, tell us a little bit about um, your career when you got out of school. So when I got out, I did, I moved to New York and, you know, I tried to get into the event management uh, kind of venue and I kind of did a little bit of freelancing on my own. Um, but I actually just got into like, let me try to be an actor. Let me try to be an actress. Let me try to be a model. So I tried to, I tried that for a little bit. I'm in a little bit of like 
very, very deep, like very small things. Um, but I dabbled that in a little, I dabbled in that a little bit. And um, then I had a baby and then I said, okay, now I really got to settle down because acting is not it. And I really wasn't taking it a hundred percent serious. That time was just fun, creative. And also I got to do a lot of writing. I had a little Tumblr blog. So I got to like talk about different things. And New York is like the best, like there's so much going on, right? You can just yeah. walk down the street and you have five stories from that walk. And then um, after I, I had my daughter, that's when I got into like the corporate world and I dabbled in that. And then I moved here to Florida, got into a little bit of hospitality, but still in that kind of managerial position. I've had creative jobs, but nothing as cre as satisfyingly as writing and, you know, actually like creating things. Also having anxiety and being in these high stressful corporations, it was a lot. Like I would come home and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to wind down until like maybe midnight, one in the morning. And then by then I'm like, well, my whole day was wasted. Let me have an hour or two to myself. And then it's three in the morning and then I have to get up at seven 30 and do it all over again, you know? So yeah. And having my little one too. So it was just, it was just a lot. So I honestly, I am so grateful for, for COVID in a way. And I think a lot of people are where it, it really put things into perspective. So being, you know, jumping from managerial positions and working in and out of corporate offices, I was just like, after COVID, I was only the only person, one of the only people working in offices, everybody else got to be home and got to really recharge and energize. And I was putting in overtime because of the fact that everything was so limited. So being able to, you know, double time on the phone, double time, you know, Zoom or whatever we could manage to get the job done. I feel like my last 10 years of work have been just strictly anxiety reduced. Like it's just been uh, an anxiety ride. Like every, like every time I would get a phone call from work, it's just like, my heart is at my throat and I'm just like, Oh my God. And I'm thinking about 20 million different things. And then I would always second guess myself. Managers loved me because I was always like a workaholic, but it wasn't because, it, like, yes, my work ethic is strong, but I think anxiety made it strong because I'm literally like, Oh my God, I have to double check. Did that come to a crisis point where where you just kind of went, this is not healthy, this is not sustainable, I, I have to not do this anymore? Yes. Actually, after COVID, I think I hit a, a breaking point, but not in a way where some people would be like, ah, like flip out. It was a calm. It was like, you know what? I'm done. I don't want to feel this way anymore. And I don't want to be in spaces that I don't want to be in anymore. When you have anxiety, you're, you're always, you're always second guessing yourself and your anxiety makes you sometimes not want to be the person that you are having that in myself. And then, and knowing, having like literal evidence that I'm doing the best that I can, and I'm still not good enough. I'm like, well, I could tolerate it with my. Oh, but I can't tolerate it with somebody else. So that for me was the breaking point. And I said, I'm all set. I'm going to do what makes me happy and focus on my passions and focus on making sure that I'm living the best possible life. And I, I'm really grateful for COVID. And I know a lot of people feel, feel the same way. And at that point I've had, I had almost like 
we're talking probably like 700 pieces of poems that have never seen the light of day. So I had all these different poems and all these different ideas that I had bubbling inside. And I said, you know what? I really want to finish this. Like this is giving me anxiety because it's not done. I want to get it done. Did you have the financial freedom to be able to give up your career and just focus on your writing? No, I actually had to save up. I saved up. I kind of, once that happened, I literally had like, I want to say six, six months to save up. So I was like, okay, this is it. Like I'm doing it. I'm putting 110%. So it's just me and my daughter. So um, it was kind of like grind time for me. And then, uh, you know, being from New York, I feel like every New Yorker has like a side hustle. So I've always, uh, I sell vintage clothes. I love it so much. Kind of was like, okay, I'm going to take this into the full time. And then I'm going to take my book into the full time. And I just geared up and I don't think I would ever do it again, for sure. That was something that was crazy. The anxiety and the stress, the anxiety, like, oh my God, they're going to find out the anxiety of, I got to get this done. The anxiety of like, what if I fail? What if I fall? What if I, I wouldn't recommend it again to myself. I definitely prepared and, and got everything ready. And, and just, I wanted to, to close up all the loose ends and the loose ends that I know would make me happy that I've been putting myself to the side and taking that, that, that final step away from corporate was like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize for so long how far back, I was putting myself in the burner. You know, everybody came before me. Once I did that, I'm like, you know what? Jennifer comes first, then everybody else. Let's move a little bit into um, your book, because I assume once you got everything squared away, that was your priority. And as I mentioned before, it's, it's a very unusual collection. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what it is. Just tell us about how it how you put put it together, what your concept was for it and so forth. When it came to the book, I, I really wanted a book that highlighted anxiety and what it actually is. I think we're so used to seeing anxiety as a moment and it's not a moment. It's something that is a continuous, continuous struggle every single day with every single event, things that made you anxious you know, last week are still coming into this week. Um, So I really wanted to showcase through poetry, of course, all the themes that we're used to in poetry, you know, depression, heartache, loss, love loss, love gained, uh, growth, rebirth, things of that nature, but all under the umbrella of anxiety. Like how does someone that is going through depression deal with their anxiety as well? How does someone that's going through a heartbreak deal with the anxiety as well. Like I really wanted a body of work to showcase that. And and I feel like my my book uh, really does that very well. Um, So in the book, I don't put any pages. There is no page numbers um, because I didn't want someone to organize it because there is no way for you to organize anxiety. There's no way for you to put a logic or a rationale to anxiety because there is none. You know, people who suffer from GAD, uh, generalized anxiety disorder, we're thinking about stuff that has absolutely nothing to do with us. Like I'm thinking about like a hundred years from now, will my great grandkids have the same trees that I'm seeing in front of me? And I'm literally having like a panic attack about like, it makes no sense. The only thing I wanted was to give the reader kind of like a guide of the journey. So in the book, there's four sections or four chapters um, where it shows someone kind of going through an okay time 
getting worse and then slowly coming out of that and getting better and realizing what they have to offer. And in in between the books, you see a lot of repetition where you're like, wait a minute, didn't didn't they go move forward? Why are we moving three steps back? Well, that's because that's how anxiety is. You're on this journey to growth. And and this book for me is is very personal. Like this is this is me. So I this is what like those chapters are sections, chunks of my life that people are diving into and reading into poetry and this book itself, creating this book, bringing it together really helped me see my traits, my toxic traits of what I do and really helped me kind of focus on how to not so much listen to my anxious voice, but listen to more my inner voice. And then in addition, I really wanted to show a visual as well with how anxiety looks. So you'll see a lot of graphics, a lot of shapes. I'm very into the geometric, but I I really wanted to showcase like maybe if you can't uh, connect with it on a, a literary sense with the poems or, you know, how the book is out laid out, maybe with the visual, you can kind of see like, that's kind of how it feels, you know, because it's kind of like, that's how I feel like my mind is at that moment in time or how my mind feels. And it looks like the poem will be a positive poem. And it's, you know, about self-discovery or whatever. But then you have this image that's like, whoa, it looks like all over the place that's because that's what's happening in the back of my mind I want to move forward but anxiety keeps telling me you know stay back or no me you're wrong you know at at this point I mean you have kind of um, accepted that that anxiety is something you're going to probably live with for the rest Mm -hmm. of your life Mm -hmm. what have been the coping skills that have helped you the most Um, definitely number one, always talking things out when I feel like I can't separate who's like talking in my head. And I know it sounds weird, but is it true Jennifer or is it anxiety Jennifer that's talking? So when I can't differentiate, I say it out loud. I'm like, okay, why are you feeling anxiety right now? And then I'll say it to myself. I'm like, I'm feeling anxious right now because of X, Y, and Z. Okay. Can you fix it? No. Okay, Jen, you need to move on. What can we do? You know, so talking it out out loud has been a huge coping mechanism. Does it look normal? Probably not, (laughs) but it's for me. So I really, I really, at this point, I used to be so like shy about it. I'm like, you know, now I'm just like, no, I'm going to like, no, I'm going to do what I need to do to be better. Right. I don't know how my friends think about me as a parent, but I'm very direct with my little one. So if I'm not feeling okay, or if I feel overwhelmed, I will literally verbalize that to my child. I'll say, I feel overwhelmed. I'm having a lot of anxiety right now because you're doing X, Y, and Z. So can you please help me out by not doing X, Y, and Z or, Hey, you know, whatever it is, you know, I I'm always very transparent with her for sure, for sure. Have you always been open with her in terms of what the anxiety that you deal with? And also as a mom, what do you do as a mom to try to create a climate for her that is conducive to, if not alleviating her anxiety, at least allowing her to express it? 
I've always been transparent with her uh, from an extremely young age, like as soon as she could talk. I, well, even as a baby, I've always been like very vocal about what I'm doing or, you know, why we have to do things, whether she understood me or not. I just wanted to get in the habit of that. I always communicate with her with whatever it is I'm feeling because she's not psychic. She's not a mind reader. Right. And in that in that same token, I give her the space to be able to express herself but within a designated space. I'm not going to tolerate disrespect, but you know, you're able to express yourself because a lot of times when I was growing up, I wasn't able to express myself and it was just this anger and this frustration, you know? So I really try to explain things, let her express herself. And I always check in, like, what can I do to be better? What, what am I doing? That's not helpful to you and vice versa. And I do know my daughter has anxiety. I don't think as she's not as bad as, as I was at that age. She does have a little bit of it. So when she does feel anxious, I tell her, I'm like, okay, you got to relax, calm down. You know, you're not in trouble. I'm just asking you a question. So that's when she'll kind of express herself more and open up. And I feel like since we've been doing that, and since we've been working on it, I think since like seven, I've really been honing that in. She's way more like open and outgoing. In my house, we don't, I don't punish her for whatever she does. We talk about it and there's consequences. Of course, the only punishment or the only thing I get upset about is when she lies to me. So when she tells me the truth, I'm like, okay, Kyra, well, what do you think? Do you think you did the right thing? Or or what are you thinking about? She's like, well, honestly, no, I I wasn't, I didn't do the right thing. Okay. What do you think you should do? She's like, well, I want to write the person an apology letter or whatever the case may be. All in all, my number one priority is to always raise her and treat her like I would have wanted to be treated that age. At this point, Jennifer, you, I'm sure that you have found um, a lot of pride and contentment with with producing this book. Do you have plans for it? Do you have plans for a next project? What are what are your goals at this point? My goals, honestly, I just want to get my book in as many hands as possible. And just because I wish there would have been a book like this when I was growing up, the way anxiety is portrayed is so moment to moment. And it's not really like that. Like a moment happens. And because of this moment, anxiety branches off into a thousand little branches. And you don't know when you're going to bump into it. It could be like three years later where you're like, oh my God, I remember this one time that I read this one book and it was saying about this. And here we are now. Like it's, it's crazy. So I really want people to not only view anxiety, not as a moment to moment, but as this long, endless road, but also to give it to give the people that are suffering through it the respect that they deserve to. I really want people to start giving themselves those that suffer from anxiety, give yourself those boundaries, give yourself that boundary that your mental health deserves, and not letting people walk over you. And if people that are really, truly there for you will respect that boundary and they will listen to what you have to say. So where can people find your book, Jennifer? People can check it out on penofthepeople.com. That's going to give you some links. Um, Currently it's on sale on Amazon. It's on iTunes. It's an audible. It is on Kindle, uh, Kubu, uh, Google play, you name it. It's there. Um, You can also find it at books a million and Barnes and Nobles as well. What's next? 
I really want to create my next step is kind of tying in with the book. I really want to create a kind of like a workbook slash diary slash, you know, space, kind of like what I did for myself growing up, like in college. And I, and I really want to give that to um, my, my readers or people who follow, I really want to give them a space where they can be safe in their anxiety and express themselves and find that solace in a similar way that I did writing. Cause again, with anxiety, sometimes you're not, you're not really honest with yourself. You're not really, you know, living in your truth. And I feel like with that pen and paper, there's that intimacy and that space where you can be open, honest, and raw and really given to all your emotions. So kind of working on that and also working on some items. I really love like candles and mugs. So I kind of want to work on adding that as well. And I'm also dabbling in the NFT world. So I know that's, that's the big wave. So I did not see a lot of artists when it comes to poetry. So I'm really excited that I'm kind of like in this new space in terms of NFT poetry. So definitely working on that too. So You'll see me around. You'll see me around for sure. It's wonderful. It's um, I I found your book fascinating, and um, I I'm sure listeners would too. And I just really thank you for for coming on the podcast and being so open and really very clear and articulate about what anxiety is beyond just a word that we toss around a lot and how without conscious thought, it can really rule your life and ruin your life. So I'm sure that a lot of what you've talked about will, will really be helpful to those who are listening, who, who share, share the, the pain of suffering from anxiety. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that people can can resonate. And, and you know, I, I'm really, I've really worked and made sure that whenever I talk about anxiety or my book, I'm very clear and, and concise on that. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and best luck, best of luck to you and to Cairo. And um, may you have many anxiety free days ahead. Thank you. Same to you. Carrie, I thought Jennifer did a great job of describing sort of chronic anxiety as opposed to being anxious. And I think there's a very important distinction there. A lot of times I get anxious when I miss a deadline or I forget to edit a podcast, but I am generally able to manage that through completing a task. Talk to me a little bit about your experience with people who have not necessarily generalized anxiety, but more chronic anxiety? Well, actually, although I've never been diagnosed, I um, assume that I have, um, you know, I certainly have an issue with anxiety. And you're right, the way she described it that really um, rang true for me is anxiety isn't a moment. It isn't just like, oh, I'm late. I'm, you know, I'm going to miss my appointment, you know, and then it passes. It's like one bit of anxiety touches off to some some other bit of anxiety. And then, as she said, it like goes into a thousand different branches. And all of a sudden, like two weeks from now, 
you're still being anxious about having missed the appointment two weeks earlier, you know, but for me, it isn't, sometimes it isn't even, I'm not even conscious of what I'm anxious about. I just feel this sense that um, I'm, I'm worried or I'm stressed or, and, and I really have to sit down and consciously kind of go back through the chronology and go like, what set this off? And, you know, it might take me back three days to something um, sort of curt that somebody said to me, mm-hmm. you know, that hurt my feelings. And I realized that I've been carrying that with me for days. So, and that ties in exactly to what Jennifer said in terms of her ability to communicate that anxiety and through her writing, if we can, and, and I feel sort of a state of anxiousness right now, as you and I talked about, it's a, it's a crazy week, but if I can sit down and for me, it's writing lists, if I can articulate what it is that's in front of me, my level of anxiety comes down. So I suspect in some respect, that's, it's not nearly that I, I'm, I'm fairly simple, but co- Jennifer's must be much more complex, but that ability to articulate is a theme throughout our podcast. If you can talk about it, it can help. I think I think there are different coping mechanisms that people figure out to deal with it. Lists, I'm a big list maker. Sometimes I make a list that has on it things that I've already done so that I can cross them off. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, when she talked about saying things out loud talking to herself out loud, which she said, you know, is weird and people think she's weird, but it's really helpful to her. I think, yeah, whatever works, as long as you kind of pull it out of that dark place where it's just kind of sitting on your heart, feeling really heavy. Exactly. Well, and sending out this podcast gives us both some relief. We, um, we are always excited when we're able to provide new material for our listeners. So uh, Carrie, again, thank you for for getting Jennifer to be so very frank with us. You have a great way of pulling thoughts from people and I appreciate you. Thanks. And you always know, Carrie will tell our listeners that we are always looking for new people to tell their stories with us. So if you're interested, it is facingmentalillness at gmail.com and we look forward to hearing from you. Thank And thank you, Laura, for all the great editing. Laura gets the dirty work. I get the fun part. So. <laughs> I get, uh, I, I, we both all do right. our job. Thanks, Carrie. All right. Thank you, Laura. Bye-bye.